Hi, and welcome to the Dewing Grain podcast. Dewing Grain are independent and local grade traders. From seed supply to harvest movement and storage contracts, they can offer you the best strategies to achieve the highest prices for your harvest. Each week on our podcast, we begin with the Dewing Grain Market Report, giving you up-to-date information and analysis, followed by Farm Chat, where we catch up on agricultural issues with a guest or two while sampling a beer. Andrew's favourite bit. So let's start with Andrew Dewing and this week's Market Report. Welcome to the Market Report. What follows are my thoughts or gut instincts on what the market is going to do. It is not an instruction to trade. Any decision to trade is yours. Market report for week commencing 28th of March 2022. Right, let's start with all seed rape, old crop. It's been over £800 a tonne. Goodness knows where it is at this moment. We'll say £800 a tonne. We've got none left to trade, I don't think, so we've given everyone bad advice for a whole year. New crop, harvest 620. The biggest things to observe is that on Monday or Tuesday this week, Matif rapeseed traded over €1,000 a tonne. That's a first. But there is talk at the meeting last night with the EU leaders about ethanol mandates being gotten rid of for the time being, which I think the Green Lobby in the EU is recognising that there is an, an immediate need to address this bigger issue. I hate to think what the Green Lobby is going to do in the longer term if we don't wean ourselves off oil and gas, but bluntly it's going out the window. And I suspect that must be something that our government and probably the US government are considering. The moment is just on oil seeds, I believe. Nothing's been mentioned about corn but you know with our two plants firing away like mad that's a major slice of what makes our price stay up there and I appreciate the world is going to be tight regardless and the market's going to be firm regardless for grains but let's take ethanol off the pitch and it might be a different story food is becoming the biggest subject which is great but we are trading in a level that's making it very unacceptable for lots of people to buy food so I think I don't know that's something that you have to consider within your risk assessment so this morning the market's down a little bit i mean it's 300 bid 310 offered i think one lot traded at 300 or something like that on the old crop it's 300 and then there's a very big hunger for wheat in the north of this country there's people who are short up there and they're paying large prices to get their hands on wheat the people who were going to sell it have probably sold it what's left is in very strong hands we're still in march there was april may june and july a third of the year to go before we get a sniff of any new crop wheat. And if we have a late harvest, it's going to be very, very exciting at that tail end. So old crop wheat prices, we've paid £300 a tonne X this week. It's in the region of that for certainly the May is oversubscribed with contract. The merchants have got to move, whereas June and July is not got any sellers at all. And that's the bit where, bluntly, if you can clear your stocks out and you get a really good price and your store's empty, you're happy. Who wants to play the game of doing all that work closer to harvest? So it's going to be very tight June, July. So old crop, £300 a tonne. New crop has touched 270 on the futures it's currently around about 263 264 that makes it worth about i don't know 255x for november 250 for harvest or something like that pretty steamy prices it's gone up a lot in the week even though it's tailing off on the thursday friday yeah i haven't been feeling the pressure of wanting to sell it possibly these ethanol conversations are making me a little bit nervous and i think that's a consideration that if it gets announced it's going to be a big drop in a hurry but the fundamentals are the Ukraine is going to be off the pitch as a major supplier. That's a fact. And we're now coming into silly season on the weather. So let's just, you know, it's very, very difficult when you have a dry forecast like this, cold next week and long term dry.
dry forecast. Fertiliser at £1,000 a tonne and people considering whether they're going to put it on the ground to just sort of watch it do nothing for a month. Niggles like that stop people from trading. And I think that's what creates the weather market scenario. And weather markets go, if someone gets the urge to cover themselves. I mean, last week I, I, I put out that I felt the pressure was on the consumer, not on the farmer. Underlyingly, I still feel that's the case. The risk to the consumer is enormous. If there was a weather problem, a big weather problem with supply of corn, for example, from the States, then there's a very big rally potential there. Whereas the reward is, what, £20, £30 maybe downside? That, that's a lot, I know, but it isn't enough to break the bank. And I think the pressure still remains on them. One or two consumers have bitten the bullet and gone for supply. And as I say, I think they're going to sleep easier than those that are waiting. But from a farmer's perspective, It really boils down to your own attitude to profit, your own attitude to understanding that nothing is obvious, nothing is totally clear. It is a lottery of political issues. This is all about politics and all about how we all react to it. And then you add in the extra bit of weather. Yes, the weather aspect at the moment is more bullish than bearish, but it's a hell of a game you're playing. So over to you. I'm not going to make the call. I'm going to say... Underlyingly, if I had to go one way or the other, will the market trade higher than where it is today? Yes, I think it will. If I was asked, will it trade lower than where it is today? Then yeah, in fact, it will. So both can buy at a cheaper level or sell at a higher level, in my opinion, from this price. This is not the top, in my view. And I said that last week, and I'm obviously, I was right last week. So one of these weeks, I'll be wrong. Feed barley old crop has run out. There is diddy bits of it, bits of malting barley being rejected. Barley is incredibly tight, so let's pretend there's going to be a big supply of that. There is a bit of malting barley left on farm that isn't traded. Goodness knows why. What on earth are you thinking of? Or maybe you aren't thinking, but anyway, you'll make £300 a tonne of it if it's got half decent spec and it's the right variety. And feed barley is not very far behind that, probably 290, something like that. So that's outrageous. A new crop, the discount for barley will be about £15 under wheat as we trade through the season, maybe less than that. So uh, less corn around, there's a greater demand for barley, but let's work on the basis of £15 under wheat. So where I said 255 for November feed wheat, then I'm saying 240 for feed barley for the same month. Okay, with that, I think that's an- enough. This week, I've actually managed to persuade my wife to come onto the podcast, and we're going to be very grown up. She has to suffer me all of the time, but there is a subject that we are both very passionate about, and we're going to talk openly about the Ukrainian refugees and our decision to accept a family in here, and some of the pitfalls and miseries of trying to get that to actually happen with what can only be described as an incredibly obstructive government who are not as generous as they make out to be. Anyway, with that, thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. Please remember that any decision to trade on this opinion is yours. If your farm is looking to diversify, the first step is having the right website and logo. We are East Coast Design Studio and we're experts at creating websites that don't just look good, but get great results. Don't send your money to London. We're from Norwich, so keep it local. Call 01603 728978 or visit us online at www.eastcoastdesignstudio.co.uk. This week's podcast is a very topical subject and I've dragged my wife kicking and screaming to actually answer some questions on this. We've both decided that we're going to try and take in a Ukrainian family and I want to just highlight some of the process that's going on because there is a bit of a UK government mess going on. So Tess, thank you very much. You're welcome.
First things first, we discussed it with the family. The girls both gave it the thumbs up. You know, we decided on Friday. So where did you start? First things first, you have to find a Ukrainian, don't you? So I went on to Google, really, and there's several websites that you can put your information on to say what you can offer. So you're offering a house first? Yeah, yeah. And there's also lots of Facebook pages of people that are posting their details, saying that they want to come to the UK and asking for sponsors so they can come here. So you could pick one of them, just say, right, okay, that one will do. And you can message them directly. And with that conversation, you can kind of ascertain whether they're real or not, I guess. Yeah. Best of your ability. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, they don't know us, we don't know them. So there's a little element of... Large element of trust. This is all trust, isn't it? That's what the world should turn on. So once you'd kind of identified them, you then have to go to register the house with the government. Is that the way it works? Yes. So you enter your details on the government website to say that you're interested. And there are also a couple of other websites. And actually, a lady called Yulia messaged me because she'd seen our post on one of these other websites. And she said she's a 34-year-old lady with a 12-year-old daughter, Olga, and would we be prepared to help them? They were still living in Ukraine at the time and she really needed to get out. They were 50 kilometres from where the shelling is. So, I mean, with that in mind, she's found you, in effect. You put your name up there and she's gone, boom, I want to come. She's still living there and she had her family saying, don't go, don't go, it's too dangerous. Yeah. But she made a decision which was brave, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. Once we'd identified her, we had to then help her to register, didn't we? Yeah, we did. So she is fine. She has a Ukrainian passport, so she's fairly straightforward, whereas her daughter, Olga, doesn't have a passport. Lots of Ukrainian kids Children don't. don't. No, they don't. And so what we had to do was get her to Warsaw, which was 900 (laughs) kilometres from where she was. Yeah. So last Sunday, they managed to get to a city and get on a bus and cross the border. So they were on a bus for sort of 48 hours crossing. The border. And they crossed very early hours of the morning. Yeah, on... Sunday, Monday morning. Yeah. 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 And we booked them into a hotel at Warsaw Airport, which actually is the hotel that the Visa Centre is operating that was, from. That was luck though, wasn't it? Well, no, I looked at where the Visa yeah. Centre was. The other thing is there are so many people going to Warsaw for that particular thing. Warsaw is quite yeah. full up, isn't it? I mean, yeah. Poland is quite full up. Yeah. Lots of people are having to stay. I mean, she was fairly lucky in that respect that we were supporting her financially because a lot of refugees that don't have that have to be in a refugee centre and they have to try and get themselves to Warsaw and then get back to the refugee centre. Which leads on to lots of people haven't got any money at all and without financial support. Little things, like if you have to start applying for a UK's form filling, you don't get a charge on a bus. Everyone wants their phone charged and no one gets anything to do it. So you're without, and then when you get No, when she travelled, she said, I probably might not be able to contact you until we get there because we won't have a phone charger. And then there's a bucket load of people all trying Mm. to do the same thing. So, you know, Yulia was lucky in the sense we got her a hotel room. She's able to get herself sorted and charged and then be able to go through the process with you. But even then, the process of filling in the form all in English obviously yeah so we did the form while she was still in Ukraine this is how we found out she had to go to Warsaw so I did the form it is a 50 page form I think I'm reasonably intelligent and they do say that the applicant should have been Yulia so the applicant was Yulia but I filled it in on her behalf so I had her on messenger asking her various questions taking photos of the screen and converting it into what she understood yeah and she was sending me all her paperwork all her passport birth certificate for her daughter 
daughter, etc. Without that level of English, there's no way. No way. A, they don't really speak very good. I mean, she seems to be communicating with me very well. She has a very strong accent. Her English isn't very good. The form isn't in Ukraine, or it certainly wasn't in Ukrainian when we did it, whether yeah. they've sorted that out now, I don't know. But there is no way a Ukrainian person with not good English skills would be able to do this on a phone, no. Uh, the daughter, she has to go to a VAC centre. Yes, yes, a visa centre. Which is something so, where she has to have a photo taken. Her a finger. biometrics, yeah. You know, once that's done, luckily she got in that day. So we're right on the front edge of this happening. Yeah, we? yeah. So when we filled in the form, I could then book her an appointment at the visa centre in Warsaw. So we worked out how long we thought it would take for mm. her to get there and we booked her an appointment. And so she had her appointment with the visa centre on the Tuesday. She was then told, could they have a mailing address so that they could send all the paperwork to her? Well, obviously she's a refugee, so they don't have a mailing address. That's the point. It's basically being sent back to the hotel and they've said it should be in five to seven days. So then we find out that obviously she's going to have to be in Warsaw for at least the next seven days. So there are lots of Facebook groups with people like expats in Warsaw and things that yeah, are offering we, places to stay. We had her for two nights in a hotel. The VAC centre is saying like, yeah, three to seven days, maybe. You five know, to seven. Five, yeah. whatever. You know, it means an indeterminate standard. The hotels are going to be likely to be full with all of these people waiting. And expensive. They can't afford hotels. No, absolutely. These are people with one bag <laughs> each yeah. and worried children. So the dynamic is you managed to find then homes that are putting people up yeah. for a short term. I found, I put a post on one of the expats in Warsaw Facebook groups and I was contacted by a lovely lady called Amelia who lives on her own in a two-bedroom flat in Warsaw and she has really kindly offered her second bedroom for them so they went straight there and they've been settled there and she's looking after them until they get their permission to fly paperwork when we'll then bring them over did the Polish Warsaw Council come and inspect her house before they moved in <laughs> no that's well, happening now we'll, we'll, here, come here. On to that. we'll come on to that yeah. in a minute won't we? the next step is we're waiting it strikes me that if you were running away from a possible chemical bomb, you know, and dying a horrible death where you can't breathe, this stuff is, I guess, pretty futile. But to me, it incensed me enough, the feeling that you really, bearing in mind, we contacted her Friday night and we're now, we got to sort of Wednesday and nothing seemed to be really, there's lots of things happening because you're being efficient on it. But the reality of like, let's get those two people, we've identified who they are, get them on a plane, get them over here, do the biometrics over here, do whatever, just get them out, give Poland a breather is the instinct. Mm. So we're the only country that they have to have a visa to come to. Ireland have scrapped the visa so they can go straight into Ireland yeah. and they're sorting all their paperwork out there. We're the only country that won't do that. Yeah, so when Michael Gove has a hissy fit about people being critical of us not being generous, we're very generous. The reality is we're not being generous, are we? We're being completely obstructive. Everything is put in the way as a barrier. Yeah, I think they're hoping if they do that then no one will come. Some other families that were supposed to be lined up to come here gave up and went to Germany, didn't they? Mm. So it's working. The UK government's doing a good job of not having to take them in. They can pretend they offered lots of places and no one came. I wonder why. Well, I got so angry about it, I, for the second time in my life, wrote to my MP and I actually just bumped. And I've got to give my MP credit. Within an hour, he phoned me back. So Duncan Baker, you know, credit to you, my man. He came back and tried to explain to me how hard the service was working. It's in our interest to protect these people and protect us as well and all that stuff that you make up when you're trying to protect a 
terrible, tyrannical system. But the real reality of people running away from a chemical bomb is physical. And we are physically not getting people into this country at any speed, are we? No. I'm on lots of Facebook groups of people in the same position. And we completed the forms on Friday, which was the first day that the programme was open. And I think a couple of people had started to get their permission to fly yesterday. So hopefully now, and they'd also applied on Friday, so hopefully now it's starting to come through. But I think ours might be longer because Olga doesn't have a passport, so that's now what we're waiting for. Um, There's going to be Um, hundreds of thousands of those people in that boat, and our little flexi-time civil service people are going to be away for the weekend, not putting the forms through, are Mm -hmm. they? Might be cruel there, but probably. I mean, at this point, there's nothing more we can really do. We're in regular correspondence with you, aren't we? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, several times a day we are. So actually North Norfolk District Council have been great. I've been in contact with the school's admissions for her and they will, as soon as she arrives, find her a school place. And I've also, I think, found her a job, which is lovely. She's desperate to work. She wants to work as soon as she gets here. And I think the council have actually found her something that she can sort of do. From the education perspective, I mean, they're coming to inspect us, aren't they? They are. So we've got a man coming from the council in about half an hour, I think, who's coming to inspect our home to make sure that obviously it's all safe and suitable. You made me clear up. I did. Yeah, (laughs) I've still got to clear up some stuff, so I can't be too long on this. (laughs) So we're going to be inspected and hopefully they're going to not come up with anything too arduous about where you can and can't have a bedroom. We'll have to put them in the West Wing. (laughs) (laughs) No, we'll end up, you'll have to be downstairs and they'll have our room. Yeah, if that's what they insist upon, fine, (laughs) whatever it takes. But with Olga, who's the daughter, hopefully she's going to have a school sorted out. It's not very easy to get to school from here and so on. Anyway, we'll see what they come up with. Education is kind of ticked. The council's been good on that. Social services or the council's inspection of whether we're going to lock them in a dungeon or not. Well, clearly we're not going to do that. Are there any other regulations and things we're having to tick box? No, we're just waiting, I think. We're literally just waiting for paperwork to be issued and then we can get them on a plane and fly them over. So that's what we're hoping will happen imminently. Who knows? They could still be there in two weeks. Yeah, my MP kindly said if anything hasn't happened for a couple of days, contact him. So it's Friday. This afternoon I'll be on, I think. I'll email him again and say, look, nothing's happened. It looks like Ulia's got the okay to go. I have had an email this morning from the Home Office or whoever's processing the visa, but it was a duplication pretty much of what we received on Sunday just to say, oh, we've got your application. So I don't know. But it's just for her and not for her her daughter. We haven't had anything for Olga yet. I suspect we're going to get, okay, you can fly it, but your daughter can't. You've got to leave your 12-year-old in Warsaw, Yeah. (laughs) Right. Okay. so this is where the story ends at the moment. We will come back to this test. Thank you very much. We'd better go and uh, tidy your pants up. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to get new episodes as they are released and follow us on Twitter. We are at Dewing Grain. Call Dewing Grain on 01263 731550 or email info at dewinggrain.co.uk. The Dewing Grain podcast is produced by East Coast Design Studio in Norwich.